You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and it's David O'Doherty time at last. Just three episodes left to go of those shows we recorded at last year's Edinburgh Fringe at the Gilded Balloon. And this was one of my favourites of the whole run. Let's do it. This is David O'Doherty. Let's awkwardly shake hands. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. I uh, this is I uh, performed in this room. Uh, in, I, th- for the listeners, this is the uh, curiously named billiard room. Yep. In uh, in the in Edinburgh, and I performed here oh, 2003, 2004, mm-hmm. and 2003 did not have it. 2000 was the year the, the, of the walkout. Okay. There were five people. There were five people who'd won an award. Who'd, they'd, they'd won, won tickets. tickets that afternoon at, and on Radio Fourth FM, and they walked out together. And the last one pointed at me and said, "You're shit," <laughs> and slammed the door. And then, so that I didn't come back in 2001 specifically because of that. Okay. I came back in 2002 and played the room next door, which is again the curiously named balcony, which implies overlooking. You know, beautiful fields in Tuscany, <laughs> and then you get in there, and it it was very hot in two thousand and two, and then they were like, "Yeah, because it's very hot summer this year." And I went to see a show there uh, last week, and it's eleven years later, and it's the exact same. They yeah. still haven't got around to sorting that out. Uh, but uh, this was the first room that I kind of figured out the sort of comedy that I'd like to do in. So yeah. when you when you had that walkout experience, I mean that's horrible. It's the sort of thing that years later you can look back on and it's a you know it's an amusing anecdote. But obviously at the time <laughs> it must have been did that genuinely stop you coming back the next year? Was that the moment when you thought, ah, oh, screw it, I don't you know, I don't yeah, want to do it. I mean I um it was quite an ambitious show, the first show, and there was just one big long uh, story. And uh, I, I found it hard. I found the whole festival just mind-blowingly overstimulating because there's just mm. too much stuff going on. Mm. And I, would, I went to see everything. And I went for a, you know, I'd stay up all night with everyone. And uh, I was just a shell by the end of it. Okay. Whereas now I feel I am a shell with a tiny, like what's a, a, co- a cockle? I've still got a tiny bit of meat inside Um, yeah so the the full details of the walk I refer to it in in my show that I'm doing at the moment because I I blame I say that now I'm very angry about Lance Armstrong in my show this year and I now allege that he was one of the five people who walked (laughs) out and they were all members of the US Postal Cycling team and and they needed to go because they had to take drugs is the the joke but um, I stood there with the mic, they all walked out, and it's just me and the tech standing in, a, in the room. 
me staring at him, just going like, what is the protocol yeah. for this? Do you just keep going? <laughs> you know, and they might just come back in then. And uh, yeah, no. it would be embarrassing if you stopped and then they'd all actually just gone for a wee. And <laughs> yeah, no, we love it. <laughs> um, and uh, so we stood there, or I stood there for a minute, and then I started to cry. And then he came down and he did the. Come on, By like, he, you mean the technician, not yeah, the Lord. The, te- <laughs> yes, <okay. laughs> the, the tech so did the. Come on, big man, come on. I went down and we went to. There's a locals pub. This is the old Guild of Blue, and there's one around the corner. And we went there and had like three drinks. Mm-hmm. And he had another show to go back and do that. And we into a bottle during those shows because he had three pints. And <laughs> it happens. And I, yeah, I just... And was, was that the last show of that run? Or did no, you have to was, come back the next day? It was the middle of the run. You know, I mean, there's the, there's the get back on the horse thing that is so nice about, especially a festival like this. You know, mm-hmm. you'll have a few crappy gigs, uh, you know, uh, regardless of how long you've been doing it for. And you, but you do get you get a chance to put it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, except tonight is my last show, so mm-hmm. I can't mess this one up. <laughs> then I'll have to mull over it for uh, till however long till I come back here. I'm I'm interested in the process of how you cope with the times when it doesn't work because at the moment you are at the height of your powers. You're oh selling out Pleasant's One. Yeah, but come on, that is 350 people. I'm not. I I don't know. I just I've done this. I'm probably. I've done this festival 12 times in a row now. Yeah. So I, I came back in 2000. I took 2001 off because of Lance Armstrong and <laughs> came back and I've done 2002 to 2013 every year with the new hour. Sure. And so all, like, I just, I just, it's getting better every year. I'm getting a, a clearer idea of the sort of show that I'd like to do. But like at, at the same time, I have quite strong feelings that you don't want to ever figure out the thing that people expect obviously there's a bit in um sure. no direction home the scorsese bob dylan documentary where he talks about you just you're constantly looking towards the next mm-hmm. record and you you s- sort of see oh yeah that's what it could be mm. but and you're reaching towards this album you basically never make mm-hmm. and then at some point you look back and you go oh that was a career is the journey okay. to get there but like the way i look at particularly with comedy you don't want to work out what the thing is that people expect from you because i think that's probably artistically the kiss of death because then you work out oh i'm the uh, campy guy who makes fun of celebrities or i am this thing sure and then you pay people to write a show with uh, those sort of with jokes that in, in mind it's probably okay. where you make loads of money but yeah. uh i'm i'm very happy w- with this so you know sure. that, that it's gone what, on this long given that you you've just said that you don't have an idea of that what idea do you have about who you are about what your voice is about your you're the guy who what um, in in the, every show every year, there's um, there's a jo- there's a joke or a song that is the inspiration for the next year's show. You okay. know, I can I can specifically point to the last three or four shows and like, oh, that's the bit where I was sort of figured out. Oh, this is the thing that I'd like to do. Can you give us an example of one of those, just for the, the yeah, sake of the so super geeks? Last year's show was about uh, I'd broken up with someone and got quite depressed, and it was. It was about uh, trying to cheer yourself up, really. Okay. But in the in the depths of that, there's uh, the 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 opening song to last year's show was a song called "Life," and it has uh, one specific joke in it, which is uh, it's about life is hard, mm. uh, but it's I think it's equally hard for everyone. And mm. the joke is even Roger Federer sits sure. there at a change of ends once a year and he must look down at his banana 
and his racket. And he looks up at the umpire in the high chair and the people holding the big novelty tennis balls. And he just thinks, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Uh, and that was, the, that was the joke that sort of inspired this show then. Or the idea of, you know, I, I, like I have a certain... I, I was out with Simon Amstel the other day and he has a sort of life philosophy that's, that, that is different to mine. <laughs> Mine is, <laughs> mine, oh my God. No, 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 we agree on most things, but he is more about trying to work things out and trying to figure it all out. And whereas I come from a, more of a mentality, and this is something I've only worked out in the last few years, but it's something that I've believed for a long time but not been able to articulate, is that I kind of just believe that the world is too much for us. There's no mm. point in trying to make sense of it. It's just as a human being, like we're meant to, I don't know what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to be in a field somewhere just being happy, looking up at the, at the sun. And so the, uh, the uh, so I, I kind of believe that we are, we're like Atari 2600 machines that someone's trying to play PlayStation games on. It's okay. the only <laughs> analogy that I could think of. And then that is the, definitely the philosophy behind this show. Okay, okay. Uh, so I think that, that was the key sort of realisation or way of articulating it from last year's show. Sure. And, and then this show sort of flows on from that. There is a there's sort of, a, I don't know, maybe about an overload, but there's an information load to your shows. You, you have a kind of, you have a preoccupation with the internet, as often the internet is features yeah. in your work. And you also have like a massive per show. There's a huge amount. You've got ideas on top of your ideas, references on top of your references. It's like, it, it, I don't think you could, be described ever as kind of going okay this show is about death and it will be one story about which yeah. it, which ruminates in detail it's almost like the rumination is in the volume of well I, I always I always like the idea of like so they they ask you for your show title for this festival in about what February or March mm. and you have to reserve it in the brochure and I have no idea what it's going to be about then mm. so this show is called David Adardi will try to fix everything the previous ones are somewhere over the David Adardi uh, <laughs> David O'Doherty is my name. Let's David O'Doherty. Generally, you see the theme. And, and there. let's not forget David O'Doherty party. Oh yeah, <laughs> David O'Doherty party. Yep. The uh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> they were enjoying it so much. I thought, why not share them? The the um, so I've, I've I mean I remember when I came here first in '99 to do newcomer competitions. It was around. I just remember seeing a few shows that were called like Y2K Meltdown Nightmare, and someone would come on at the start and be sitting at a a prop computer with a green light flashing and be like, ah, oh, the world's going to end. And then they'd stand, st- just stand up and five minutes later be doing jokes about how long ladies take to get ready or, you know, whatever. Sure, sure. So the, the idea, I, I was always horrified by the idea of the theme show with insufficient, maybe one day I'll have a show that's got a theme. But instead, like the, the only theme to my shows is my uh, br- stupid brain. And, you know, if, if the person comes away from it having got a sort of a, audio tour of the inside of my head at least it, how it feels at the moment i think that's a that's theme enough sure okay and do you have a sense of your 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 kind of place in the comedy not exactly the community but you could look at a tv show and go okay there's this say a panel show yeah that person's doing this job that person is being the like you say you know the camp guy with the celebrity stuff do you i know you kind of resist that wanting to be pigeonholed well, like that i am um, i never I, do, I go on some panel shows now, uh, but for a long time I didn't because I felt uncomfortable But because I, I would, didn't know how to be on it. But mm-hmm. now I've sort of realized the sort of things that I talk about 
and I also I'm able to articulate them and I'm also to stick fairly defiantly to the things that I so if I'm on a panel show and they start talking about the uh, celebrity dancing show mm-hmm. I whereas before I would have panicked and tried to make a joke about something that I knew about now I'm very happy to go I seem to be born with that part of the brain that doesn't care sure. whether these people can dance Okay. And what you find inevitably is because everyone's been going like, ooh, wasn't he fabulous last sure. weekend? I didn't know. And then if you say that, a sizable part of the audience go, ha, yes, yeah, idiots. Okay. So uh, Joe Wilkinson and I are very rarely booked on the same. Do you know Joe uh, Beardy, similar to this? He's the English model of this. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's brilliant. And, yeah, he's uh, a great comment. He, he and I, we feel, are always booked as this, for the same role on TV panel shows. Okay. We're nearly always seated on the extreme left. And sure. our job is when everyone is bogged down making Ed Balls jokes. Go So the host goes, David slash Joe. And we've worked out that our definitive joke is, go, is to go, sorry, I wasn't listening. I was just, does anyone know how dry cleaning works? Yeah. And, that, <laughs> I'm, and I'm very proud to be that person. Yeah. That's funny that you can even identify a seat where you sit because I'm sure that is in the producer's I manual. Bet it's, yeah, of, I bet. I bet that we need the, the hairy wild card. That's, you know. <laughs> yeah, and like, don't never have two hairy wild cards on the same yeah. show. The ratings will explode. <laughs> uh, the yeah, so so I, I, I'm I'm able to go on those shows now. You know, I've been on QI and Would I Lie to You and Eight Out of Ten Cats and and just be myself on them. And, you know, on, on, on most of those shows, you don't do any homework. You don't have to do okay. any homework. And if you do, you read the paper and that's fine. Sure. Uh, and so you f- sort of figure out what they're probably going to talk about. But it's not a situation like there's other panel shows that are very tightly scripted. Mm-hmm. And I, cause I, I kind of I, I can sort of do jokes, but not really. It's more my jokes tend to be I say the thing and then the audience go, oh, is that what he finds funny? <laughs> wow. You know, and that's the laugh, which probably it doesn't score big points on TV. Okay. Do you have, do you have principles or do you have an idea of something that, you, that strikes you as being particularly you in terms of material? Do you see certain subjects and go, ah, that, that's a thing that suits me? Uh, I, I, I normally turn things back onto myself in that I don't, I don't have much to say. You know, I, I, I have uh, political opinions and things like but uh, the idea of making jokes about uh making sort of traditional satirical jokes has never really occurred to me i i I just prefer to turn it around and then Mm. talk about my perception of a Mm -hmm. of a thing Uh, i'm trying to think of an example ask me another question um well i was okay so uh when you first came to edinburgh you were in the kind of vanguard of acts that included people like andy zaltzman and josie long and people that kind of, um, certainly with Josie and, and to, to an extent yourself as well, you kind of became labelled as whimsical. You know yeah. I mean? it was like it was sort of like a subset of alternative. Yeah, it's a, it's a stick that's sort of used to beat you, the old uh, whimsy. Uh, <laughs> it's a very like, gentle beating, presumably. <laughs> but like, I remember seeing a show a few years, like if, you, so the reason I, I it comes back to, to it doesn't haunt me, I, I'm absolutely fine with it, is I describe, like sometimes, off stage, I would go, are you ready for very low energy musical whimsy? Like, make some noise. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I just found the idea of it so funny. And then it, it, I remember seeing a couple of years later, 
uh, some comedian had come here and on their poster it said like no guaranteed no whimsy sure like one of the one of the tough leather jacket comedians had said that <laughs> but like what is whimsy is just flight of fancy but it's yeah. flight of fancy of any kind whatsoever. like the idea sure. of we, what we do unless you're delivering pure facts with graphs to back mm-hmm. it up you are doing something slightly whimsical sure <laughs> and, and also yeah O2 was the year where I uh, I, t- I kind of I came here with a show that was I'd been a bit sad and tried to write a show about God I mean yeah the, and um, and I met just a bunch of people I met Kitson I met Concords I met Taika Waititi who's movie director now met Zaltzman met John Oliver met uh, Josie Long or I'd met her before but we and we were all just trying to figure out a kind of a thing that we wanted to do mm. and it didn't quite fit with what was go, what was successful at around then because, because we were none of us were um I guess you could categorize it as sort of low quite low status individuals as in we didn't walk out with smoke machines and if we did shout from off stage with something ironic about the uh like get ready to try and stay awake for an hour sure. you know like cuz this room is bullshit ladies and gentlemen <laughs> You know, and that was, whereas yeah. before, that was the start of shiny floor comedy that we see on TV now. So it was like people in tailored suits uh, coming out and bowing and getting the adulation. That just never, that was never a thing I wanted to do. You know, my father's a jazz musician and so jazz is like the opposite of that. Do you see, in, in those comedians that we've named, do you see a sort of reflection of your styles in each other's work? Because there are sort of similarities, like one a, a common trope of that kind of gang is to treat um, uh, treat something gentle and meandering and whimsical as if it's, you know, like a rap battle, like, you know, or, or yeah. something like to, to kind of pretend you're notorious B.I.G. talking oh, about a that, unicorn. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty low. You've just said <laughs> the. Uh, I mean, I. Well, it's always... something that's copied a lot now, and I. I think it originated with Kitson and with you doing late and line. Yeah, that doing... whole thing of going strap in, buckle up. Yeah, but now yeah, yeah. every idiot in tight jeans is going strap in, but yeah, without yeah. a sense of why. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we were. Yeah. It. it, it yeah. That's 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 a good point. I, I mean, I. I've always felt that I'm. I'm trying to say something pr- reasonably profound. You know, I've never mm. done a show that that was just a load of jokes and we're just trying to fill the time with them um, mm. talking about, you know, fairy lights and bunting, which was sort of the perception, I think, people sure. who never came to the shows or some people who reviewed it would have had around the time of yeah. like, where is he from? I, but I, I don't know, but I'd like to visit it. You know, I sure. always <laughs> tried to talk about the things that were important. It's just that those things manifest themselves as the tale of a suicidal lobster, which was the first show in here, mm-hmm. uh, or whatever it was then. So, you know, none of that was very tough. I, sure. I remember uh, we were referred to once as, because everyone else was getting really drunk backstage in Late and Live, and we used to go over and get to Favorite across the road from here and get um, milkshakes. We were called the Chocolate Milk Gang, <laughs> which <laughs> by, isn't by something who? you see, I think... Glenn Wall or someone okay. like that. So, who, who, for people who don't know Glenn Wall, he very much typifies the... Well, he was certainly then. He was like a party, mega party sure. dude then. I remember Andrew Maxwell. <laughs> Sorry, so even your use of the phrase mega party dude firmly <laughs> establishes you as a chocolate milk guy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Maxwell, uh, who's uh, a, a, a friend of mine. Andrew Maxwell is, was, was just a sort of more, much more alpha character, uh, brackets shorter, uh, <laughs> than me. And he... Uh, he once said to John Oliver, you lads, 
you've always got bags. Because we, <laughs> like, <laughs> as in a as backpack or a satchel, which probably had, like, jokes, like, books. And it's like, what's in your bags? Like, there was something going on. Just, sure. we have effigies of you and we have ceremonies that you're not allowed to <laughs> come to. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's fine. There's, um, the, the, it's just through doing that, I guess it's just been this nice build mm. of like two in the 12 shows. They have more people have come every year. Mm. So people have identified with whatever kind of soft cock bullshit comedy I do. <laughs> that was me being self-depreciating. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever... Given that you're that you have that kind of, I mean, I like the idea of the sort of chocolate milk gag because that seems as good a name as any for that sort of. I mean, we've thing. sort of gone our separate ways now. Sure. As in, like John Oliver is regarded <laughs> as the premier satirist in America. He's just yeah. been hosting at the Daily Show. You know, Kitson is known, you know, as much for his theatre stuff now mm-hmm. and this, the sort of whatever you want to call the radio head of comedy, you know, whatever mm. he is. Concords are bloody legends of American television who tour arenas. Mm. Whereas I am back in this shithole, <laughs> sweating my bollocks off every year. To what extent do you, to what extent is that something you ever think about? That, that I mean, that, yeah, those guys have, a lot of them have gone stratospheric. Yeah. You're doing great. Are you happy with where you are? Do you, would you like to be... Ah, Do you yeah. feel like I'm keeping it real because I'm doing this? No, or is it no. just that you're doing no, it for the No, I, I mean, doing? it's not like... I, I, I just... I, I don't think I'm going to come back next year, but then mm. something just happens in February and you have an idea and you write a few things and you're like, oh, there, this could this could go somewhere. Oh, all right, I'll do it. Sure. But it's it's not... You know, I've always done other things at the same time. I've written a lot for kids. I'm writing mm. kids' books now for the next uh, few months while touring as well. Mm. It's a fun thing to do in the mornings when you're on tour. And uh, so, no, I mean, it, I've certainly never had a plan. Anyone sure. who has ever had a plan is a maniac. Sure. I you know, okay. I, especially in this, like the idea of, because there's a sort of this career, there's a pathway mm-hmm. that if you look at the two big comedy agents, mm. there's the one lot that favor um, a man in a suit holding a microphone mm-hmm. uh, in their posters. And the other, which is, a man in a buttoned up shirt mm-hmm. with a white background and a uh, smart haircut mm-hmm. who looks like a BBC Three presenter. And, you know, these are well-trodden pathways sure. now, as in you do this, you do this, you, you, you do uh, you do Art Centre tour, then you do Theatre tour, then we get up to three and a half thousand and then we mm-hmm. aim for that O2, mm-hmm. you know, and that is a repulsive idea to what? me because <laughs> I uh, that's like a five-year plan. And yeah. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. And in five years, I'll be like European international trout catching champion or something, you know? <laughs> when, when you say it's repulsive to you, do you mean the idea of you doing it is repulsive? Or are you repelled by seeing it happen to other people? Do you think, oh, God, these people are missing the point? I mean, I, 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 this is... Even when people say comedy industry, you know, it's like an art form. And, and it's something that you is very personal to me. It involves sitting in your underpants on a Tuesday night uh, at a desk and at half three in the morning going, oh, there might be something. And uh, so, I, I, I mean, I see how a lot of people now make money off that. And there is a, there is a I guess, look, who, who people have different... Uh, 
things that they the who's to say who's to say the that's one thing's better or or worse as in mm. some people just see it as a job and i i want to i want to try and move up through it and mm. more power to them but from where i am it's just never ever been about that it's always been a much more personal uh thing than that than someone else even suggesting we're gonna will you do a show next year and we'll be able to because this one's sold out so we have to put into that bigger venue just like sure. Shut up. I, I, but there presumably comes a point where you have to make those decisions when someone comes to you and says, you know, in February you do have an idea and in March someone, your agent or the venue, come to you and go, okay, what do you want to do? I mean, you, you have the choice, like Kitson, to go, okay, well, I'll do the stand. You've got a big enough audience, you could do a smaller room in the stand. Yeah. Or you could go, well, maybe I'll try seven days in the Pleasance Grand. Oh, you can do that. But, um, I mean, the, the, the problem with different venues is that you lose a thing in sure. a, when you go to a bigger room. So I, last weekend, my, my, my run had sold out. So I did two in the Pleasance Grand, which is a like 800-seat basketball court. Mm. And it was utterly unsuitable for the show, which is like quite a personal, intimate mm. show, which I'm doing in a, in a smaller room. Like, it's still quite large where I'm doing it in, but it, it feels like it's a theatre that I'm mm. doing it in. And I just felt like a bit of a, bit of a f- uh, fraud. I certainly mm. I sort of amped up the performance a bit more. Mm being in the larger venue and the shows were okay and the people there weren't to know any better because they hadn't sat through it 26 times in the other room the way I had Uh, but it didn't feel right so but there again if you uh, if you if you're the boy with tape in his face that's perfect because you're doing a big theatrical thing and it it actually adds to the the size it it, it needs Mm. that Mm -hmm. Uh, but so so I guess it's a question of building a thing with a with a plan in mind Mm-hmm. I wonder if I've just contradicted myself. The listeners will know. Leave a comment below. So this is David. What a dude. He's so easy to spend time with and it's such so warm and so funny. And it's just electrifying to hear some of the mechanics behind his genius, really. Uh, coming up later, David explains the structural secrets behind his songs. And we also get stuck into the dark voices a bit, where the where the breakdown moments come from and what arises out of that process of collapse and renewal. This is very much packed with all your favourite ComCom pod. Um, thank you for your entries with the hashtag All Show No Business. Uh, this is looking at some of the rejected show titles you always wanted to use. Uh, my favourites thus far include a show about fatherhood called The Difficult Feckend Album, that's great. And that's by our very own Ben Lund Conlon, uh, uh, frequently a Podmin Gremlin. Podminlin? No, it's terrible. On the subject of terrible puns, Peter Hicks brings us a show about cricket called Sit for Hicks. That is a real teeth grinder, Peter. Well done. Um, and uh, my other favourite so far is a Dutch comedian, Yorick Moll, of the Comedian's Bookshelf fame, wanted to call his show A Man of Finite Jest. That is brilliant, but I would suggest that, uh, given that double pun in there, that he'd be better off calling his show Clever Clogs, but that's just me. Uh, A very quick plug now for The Dark Room. Uh, The Dark Room, as you'll remember, is the multi-five-star reviewed show I'm always banging on about. I was uh, telling you to go and see it last Edinburgh, and it's probably one of my top five things from the last ten years of the Edinburgh Fringe. It's that good. Uh, It's got a great big gala performance at the Udderbelly on South Bank in London on Friday the 18th of April at 10.45pm. I will certainly be there and trying to beat the sodding thing once again. Um, Basically, The Dark Room is a a choose-your-own-adventure game that's uh, visual and interactive 
and text-based but still visual uh, visual with uh, a, a really annoying floating head. Uh, it's designed to be uh, deliberately maddening and uh, very, very funny. So go along and see that. Um, thank you uh, to Pete Hazel uh, on the ComCom uh, Facebook group who sent me a little note that we'd been mentioned in The Guardian, which is very nice on, on their sort of podcast to watch section. That makes for The Guardian, The Telegraph and The Times in the last month. How exciting. I sort of feel like a, a ball is rolling somehow. Um, if you are a journalist of any sort and you're listening to this and you'd like to contact me and feature the show and write nice things about it, that will all be very, very much welcome. So uh, do get in touch. Info at comedianscomedian.com. Um, and lastly, oh, penultimately, a quick beg for previews. Uh, if you're running any Edinburgh previews and you've got spare slots within 100 miles of London or Bristol, I'm on the scrounge. I think I got all overconfident because I'm doing my show in New Zealand in a fortnight for about three weeks and I neglected to book in many uh, pre-Edinburgh showcase shows uh, in June or July. Forgive me, dear listener, for begging spots on your show, uh, but I thought sod it, I may as well. Uh, if you need an hour of uplifting stuff in probably the wrong order, you can email me uh, info at comedianscomedian.com. Do get in touch if you'd like. And finally, thank you, as ever, all of you, for your donations. They make all the difference. I really appreciate it. I've been particularly slack with emails this week to thank those of you who very kindly donated. I'll get on those this week, I promise. Uh, but here's a, here's a little verbal thank you in person. I'm very, very grateful for whatever amount you see fit to donate via PayPal on comedianscomedian.com, the website. Uh, it's entirely up to you, whatever you'd like to donate. Uh, a couple of people recently have gone for a pound a show, which is just terrific. So thank you so much to them and to everyone else. I'm hurrying through this because I'm late for a, a preview that I'm doing tonight. Um, so apologies that I've said all of that in record time. You're probably happy about it. That's fine. Now let's get back to the one and only DOD. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> Before we get on to uh, investigating the Tuesday night in your pants part of the process, yep. which we will get to in a minute, um, <laughs> I uh, I wanted to ask about um, 
Just find, sort of finally on your persona and your relationship with your audience, there was a line you did in the show the other night, which was you mentioned drunk o'clock, which is for me, which is about 10 p.m. And I wondered to which, like, that made you seem kind of oh, yeah. cosy and earthy and down to earth. Oh. Not, not cosy, maybe, but do you know what I mean? But it was like, I'm not wild, I'm in bed by 10. And I wondered how much that's actually true or how much that's you fulfilling a certain contract that you've established with us. Oh, no. I mean, uh, gosh, I, I, I hope I'm not the person who has built a, a cuddlier version of themselves. I mean, the, the, that specific reference is to do with doing the show here where I do, if it's an early show, I do tend to go home quite late. and mm-hmm. then, or Sorry, quite early. And then mm-hmm. if I don't have late shows in, I will. Um, uh, and what, what that actually refers to is this, whenever I get drunk, it's always a very spontaneous thing. And I am famous for leaving places, doing the old... Uh, <laughs> Where you just, he's gone. He's gone. Is he gone? Where is he? He went to the loop. Oh, he's gone. And uh, the sneaky bail, uh, as it is known. <laughs> and the, so very often when I like go, when I go on a, on a party thing with mm. Adamsdale or whoever it is, mm. I just disappear then. Sure. And I, the next morning, he's like, I'm a bit rough. And I was like, well, I had 10 hours sleep. Sorry. Yeah. So and that's, it, that's, what, that's what's referenced to. That said, I'm sure I'll stay up very late tonight. Sure. I, I mean, I hope, look, I realize I play a small plastic children's keyboard. There's something uh, ridiculous and uh, sort of cutesy about that. Mm. And I guess there is something cutesy about me saying that I go to bed at 10 o'clock. Like the idea of me and... Hannah Gadsby in a big double bed together with <laughs> Victorian style pointy hats and candles. But um, I, ch- I try to be as honest as I as I possibly can in those shows. Yeah, I think probably where that came from was years ago, Alan Cochran telling me that despite uh, he t- I think he told me that he plays football with you or used to. Yeah. And he said, you're demonically good at football. You're much better. You're much more athletic than. I mean, there was, the, uh, an, there was an incredible era in comedians football when I started coming to. <laughs> that's genuinely a thing, by the way. That's to, uh, to, to Edinburgh. Uh, to 99, 2000 because Ahmed Jalili was here he'd mm-hmm. played for QPR uh, reserves mm-hmm. um, Noel Fielding was offered final trials with Fulham uh, Dave uh, Brown was another final trials guy this with, is all real by the way because yeah. I know you're, you're looking at this going really and so we used to go and play these incredibly high skill level games of football in the meadows every day Um and uh, yeah, and I, th- I, I, I like people like Lee Mack was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was that was I, I definitely used to play with them. Then one year, God, I mean, this is the the there was a sketch group here called the Naked Samoans, mm-hmm. uh, who are brilliant. And they, one of them, had played. He he hadn't played All Blacks, but he'd played whatever the under 19s All Blacks was. So then we started playing tip rugby with them. Mm-hmm. So you'd go from this semi-professional version of football to then go over and play a bit of tag rugby then with people throwing these reverse passes that you've never yeah. seen before so then you'd, you yeah your show felt like a real come down after <laughs> so when you're writing a show when you're putting a show together what what is the process do you collate stuff as you go throughout the year and then in february think okay, uh, this, maybe there's a thing this show has been uh, a, a curious one because so the last show was all sad about uh, being sad and getting over a girl, and I had a mouse infestation. The last one was, and it was it was quite. You had to summon up a bit of energy to do it, mm. and especially then when I was over it, it felt quite insincere to still be talking like, "Poor me, I have more emotions than you all put together." <laughs> me, me, me. 
uh, and so I was really sick of that because that's 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 nonsense. And um, and then in plus Kitson Kitson kind of bagsied that as an angle. <laughs> <laughs> and then in in uh, in February no in sorry in September or October I went to America. I uh, did some gigs over there. It's Kristen Schaal's wedding, and so a bunch of us went over. The, uh, me, Kitson, John Oliver, and Dimitri Martin did a show together in New York, and uh, uh, so all, I had this quite tortured stand-up at the time, and you know it was, it was all mm. about uh, how I was feeling. And Dimitri went on afterwards, and Dimitri Martin's stand-up is wonderful, and it's proper non sequitur, jokey jokes. And I was so jealous of him be- mm. just because I was so sick talking about all of this stuff. So I committed then and there. My next show was going to be like a jokes show mm. with just non sequitur, which is what I was doing when I started off originally. I'm going to I'm going to try and do like a proper comedy show, like mm. one of the men off the telly with the smoke machines. <laughs> uh, no, I just no, I just wanted a show that was bit 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 bit, and then um, I was working on that up until about Christmas, and then that utterly failed then because things just started to happen around me that were much more interesting and, okay. f- and funnier than the things, well, f- funny in a in a more interesting way than the things that I had been writing about. So this show is a sort of struggle between those two where I've written these jokes, but then they're, 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 they're just, they pale into insignificance compared to some of the more... Um, Reactive stuff. Serious life events that started to happen, yeah, that were... Okay. That were kind of funny yeah so just for people that haven't seen it can you give us an example of one of those one, um, one of what you regard as one of the more serious events yeah so i, I was trying to write all these uh jo- I, so, so there's the, the in in about february i was trying to do the non sequiturs thing and uh, i was doing a gig somewhere and there's a joke which is if jay-z just gave each of his problems a red balloon then he'd have a different song <laughs> and i said it and it got about that reaction <laughs> and then i said wow uh, the funny thing about that joke is I thought of it in a vet's waiting room while my friend was having her cat put down. And that got a b- more <laughs> interested laugh. So that was one of the re- moments where I realized, oh, hang on. People, it's more interesting, this, the the stuff that happens around it. And especially mm. if you're kind of island in the middle of it trying to write these stupid jokes. And then it, this show is about, it was not, it, it, it certainly doesn't have an overall thing, but um, the bit that I like in this show is... Um, a friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer and so I was put in charge of a six-year-old kid and mm. who kind of hadn't been told everything that was going on. was told, like, your mum's going into hospital, but hospitals are fine, so everything's, we hope everything's going to be okay. Mm. She's like, yeah, so everything will be fine. There's nothing to worry about. Mm. So I was doing a lot of worrying, but then just hanging out with her. And that, to me, was, that that is much more interesting and sure. much more vital and people react to it much more than a million jokes about Jay-Z. Sure. <laughs> to what extent do you think... Because the, the parts of that that I really remember, of mm. you dealing with a six-year-old, yeah. they're very uplifting, positive jokes they've all or experiences yeah you're just kind of talking to someone who almost has that it's almost similar to your your kind of internet preoccupation there's just this kind of fount of question and answer and yeah and I, information and a fresh view on the world yeah 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 that that's um thank you very much uh the there's a song in the new show about yeah th- this is this is probably this this will get closer to you see i don't really think about uh what what i'm trying to do i just i just do it but there's a song in this show, the the song that I'm most proud of in this show is a song about 
these are these have been tricky times recently for me and economically and my family and and whatnot. But there's certain thoughts that I always return to when I'm down in the dumps, and they they give me a lift. And one of those has always been when we were 19. My friend John had a wank on his bike <laughs> while uh, cycling home at five in the morning, and. So I, it's always been there in the back of my head, that. And so I, so then I just tried to write a song this year. I did write a song called... And it's funny because when you write a song, you have to register with performing rights. And <laughs> is that true? Th- yeah, this, I no idea. this song is called uh, uh, Bracket. I know a man who once had a, a close bracket wank on a bike. <laughs> And I'm very proud. And they're because I, I don't know if you can have, I guess you can have multiple songs with the same title, but I very much doubt there is a song with that <laughs> title existing already. And that for me is why, I, why I'm proud of that song is because it, uh, it's the correct amount of stupidity mm-hmm. and frivolity and whimsy, you could say, but then with quite a uh, profound undertow. Because mm. the song is like, there's mornings when I don't feel like getting up and mm. you just wonder, is there any point to, is this just a repetitive routine? Like particularly when we're dealing with the sickness and everything and like, what's, is this just what happened? Like the age of prostate cancer, the rate of prostate cancer in men over the age of 85 is a hundred percent. Like inevitably this is all just going to end really badly. Mm. God, I'm going to lie here. Oh, Oh, and then I just think of him wanking away <laughs> as he pedals down Newtown Park Avenue. And that is, yeah, I think that's that's certain synopsis of, I think, where my style probably is at the sure. moment. It's that, those two things. That really does. That's very... God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny. That's the perfect synopsis of something I've been working on now for 14 years is wanking on a bike. <laughs> But I think it is. I think that's a really good example because that does typify the fact that you are, whilst there is all the light and, if you like, whimsical stuff, there is also a serious, well-observed undertone to it. I think that's part of why you're so loved by your audiences is because it's not just a load of daft stuff. It's always connected to an actually well-thought-out and observed look at that emotional undercurrent because you're not just kind of going, sometimes when I get sad... I think of my friend John, you know, excuse to do the song. It's not like there's the jumping off point to do the song. It's actually about the stuff underneath it. Well, yeah, thank you very much. I am am Irish, so with any laugh, there's normally six hours of crying that accompanies it. (laughs) Is that... I I don't know. I mean, there's... The... the, the, I mean, does the Irishness... I mean, there's certain things that I always think about being... Uh, to do with Irish comedy, which is, one, my great-grandfather was forced to learn this language, so he never liked it very much, (laughs) but reluctantly agreed to, which is why, one of the factors why you've got that incredible era of, you know, um, uh, Flann O'Brien and James Joyce, you know, leading into Beckett and all that, because they were twisting these words backwards and forwards, Mm. because they... They were sort of like it was oppressor's language, so they wanted mm. to fiddle with it. I mean, that's uh, and that's something that I see in my father a lot. The way he he talks in quite a funny rhythm and and uh, uh, and makes up a lot of words, and which is funny because then that coincided with his love was the Goon Show, which is mm. quite similar to that. Then um, and 
the, and also Ireland never had any musical tradition really there wasn't or at least there wasn't that comedy I say I say thing mm-hmm. there was a it's called a Shanachie tradition where there were storytellers that would go around pubs they were sort of like you know itinerant travelling storytellers like we're going back now 100 years mm. and they would uh, have a three hour story that, and everyone would sit in the pub and that, mm. but it wasn't it wasn't staging and lighting and pit band or anything it was just a it was just a story, and that's definitely. Although they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, acknowledge it. That's that tradition is a huge influence on the likes of Tommy Tiernan mm-hmm. and Dylan Moore and and Ardell O'Hanlon, who were the 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 great comedians of Dublin when I started mm-hmm. off. Then, so I mean that I think that's all fed through to that. Like we were for a while, certainly before uh, stand up was all over the telly, or there were. There wasn't a commercial club in Dublin. There was a bunch of quite weird, artsy happening type. No, that that's making it sound wanky. There were just rooms above mm-hmm. pubs sure. where someone would get up and, you know, uh, read a poem about their brother who committed suicide, and then someone would get up and do a sketch. Like Dylan Moran describes it as, I love the description of when he went to the comedy cellar in Dublin for the first time. He said it was he was expecting it to be shit, but it was like a Berlin cabaret in the thirties. Someone would come on and kill a swan someone would play a chocolate piano and <laughs> that's the sort of comedy that I started going to and that's the sort of thing that I, I quite like where there's um, I, I mean a, maybe a light and shade element to it but there's also people who aren't afraid to, to talk about quite um, big things sure when you're finding the, the funny in the, in, the, in the subjects that you tackle, whether those things are a wank on a bike yeah. or getting a hand job off a swan Thank you. or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever those things are that seem very uniquely David O'Doherty, do you have a particular, do you have principles or kind of uh, habits that you fall into of trying to unpack the funny from something? Do you um, kind of take a thing and try and look at it from different angles or is it just that it kind of comes into your head fully formed? No, no, What's no. your attack process? I mean, as regards songs, there's a, there's a song in this uh, new show about having short legs. And that came from, I was uh, on a radio show in, back home. And uh, there was the, the last item on was this really cool guy. Was, was, he'd won a medal in the, in the uh, Paralympics. And uh, he's brilliant. And he was very um, articulate and profound. And then I was the next guest. And so I just started to talk about how, yeah, it's all very well going on about it, but I have a physical affliction that (laughs) society overlooks and I have really short legs. And because I do, I've got like 36 waist and a 31 inside leg, uh, which, yeah, the man in the Levi's shop said that is not normal. (laughs) That was his words. And so from there, that, that was just an idea. And then I started to talk about like just very obvious things like your headphones they don't go all the way up to your so like so I have, to, I have to carry the thing around like that a lot of the time and then that just became a song then okay. out of it when you say it became a song is that did you go home and write down those things and I put started them to, to think music, more and more no improvise? I think I incorporated it into a show then a few days later mm. but I said oh I started having a fake whip round at half time for my short legs <laughs> uh, in the gig and I would talk about the difficulties that I face, you know, on a daily basis as regards like not being able to do the hurdles in school when I was little because my balls had hit off the wooden <laughs> bit. And it just grew and it grew and it grew. And so, then, so it's growing on stage. You're adding more to it. Yeah. And then I went, hey, I'm going to make this into a song, actually. That's, okay. If this is going to be an anthem for 
a, a non-oppressed group of people. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do it. So that yeah, that's certainly the silliest. That's like there's nothing particularly profound behind that. Sure, but I quite like that as well. The the balance of of having something that uh, you think is quite profound and something like that, which is almost devoid of any profundity if you think about it. <laughs> does much. does the does your ability to write songs as well as stand up as well as stories does that Give, does that enable you to use pretty much anything that you think of? Can something be put into any form? Um, well, because my, my, my old man's a jazz musician, so we grew up listening to show tunes, which are these very perfectly structured, you know, the Cole Porter, uh, uh, when love congeals, it soon reveals the faint aroma of performing seals, like these amazing lyrics, and everything slots together perfectly. So when I sat down to to start making up my own songs, I just wanted to do the absolute opposite to that. Okay. I wanted to have these real open end. That's why my, the very, there's very rarely rhymes, <laughs> sure. rarely good rhymes, and the structure is a line can just dribble on and on if it mm. seems funny. Um, so, uh, so that's, the, I, I never felt constrained by having songs. What's nice about songs is everything, it just gives you something else to do on stage. If you're standing around talking, you do you you just channel all the energy into this uh moment then mm. the, the gig changes from being a, a discussion almost into being a recital and the energy changes of the audience and i think it gives people a break from just mm. uh watching you strolling around uh pottering on about things so so um it it yeah it, it's just another thing to do and also the the inspiration for me to do stand-up was seeing uh randy newman mm. uh and you know he would witter on quite a lot between his songs and there was a there's an early on i was obsessed with there was a there's a tom waits live album from about 72 or 73 called nighthawks at the diner which again has a lot of chat between the songs mm-hmm. and I, I i definitely copped that if you are just playing chords and talking it makes everything seem quite important. Yeah. Like, you know, the dreaded singer-songwriter tuning up, sure. and uh, he or she is just like, I remember I was in uh, Paris, dong, dong, dong. <laughs> and like, what, this could be anything. And, and that's where I thought of this song. And, you know, it could mm. be a two-minute boring anecdote, but it's like, oh, this is going somewhere because mm. there's a, there's some music around it. It's enormously flexible because it enables you to to take time over playing with concepts. Presumably kind of gives you additional focus if you're improvising something and you're trying to find the funny in it. Yeah, I think and, so. You know, they can keep them on board for longer than you might be if you were just talking. Yeah. And also you can use it as almost like a rim shot. Yeah, you can. I, I, I definitely use it for that. You, you can just control the energy of a joke by if you just, if you put beats on mm. and... Uh, play a thumping bass line and cut the music and say something reasonably funny and just hammer the music back on again. Mm. It's that thing that people are like, oh, that was the joke. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's funny, okay. It's funny what passes for jokes these days. Sure. And, and uh, yeah, that's something that I definitely uh, utilise. I mean, I never had... I think the Concords always had was beautiful two-part harmonies mm. and beaut- the, the two guitars sound is so beautiful like on the first live concords record uh the they're just they're they're better musicians than than uh a lot of musicians Mm -hmm. or people who make their living and and but i never had that Mm -hmm. because 
I don't have a particularly beautiful voice. There's only one of me, and I play a small plastic keyboard from 1986 <laughs> that costs five euro on eBay. <laughs> uh, so, so I, you know, I never, I have played big pianos in shows. If there's a piano backstage, I sometimes play it. But I've always, I've never been attracted to that idea of playing lots of beautiful arpeggios and runs mm. within songs because, like, that's what my father can do, and he can do it much better than me or mm. any musical comedian. I just prefer the, um, the, the come up with a strong idea. Most of my songs are quite short. Mm. They just hammer one idea until it's boring, such as having short legs. <laughs> and do you, do you make conscious decisions before gigs or when structuring an hour to put more or less songs in it? Like, do you ever go on stage without the keyboard just to kind of... Yeah, I, I do little gigs sometimes at home without the keyboard. But uh, no, I, I um, like I've never really regard... Every year at this festival, I get reviews that go, yeah, there's less songs this year yeah. than previous years, but there's only ever been... This is the most songs I've ever had in a show. There's six <laughs> songs in this show. And there's normally three or four is all, is all there are. Uh, so... So I, I, I mean, I always think there's less songs this year. Yeah, I, I, know. I wonder if that's because you. I wonder why that is. Maybe you like when you originally kind of broke. You were the guy that did the songs. Well, no, I think it's to do with when people put stuff on YouTube or whatever. They'll put a mm. song generally on YouTube. Mm. Uh, but the songs thing has always just been a a, a, a sidelight to uh, the the jibber jab thing. But there again, sometimes I do all music gigs. You know, I like I play with I play with the horn section. Last night, I'll just do songs. And then mm. sometimes I'll, I'll just do talking then as well. I can do it all, people. <laughs> songs and talking. We, uh, we've got about 10 minutes left, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to give the audience some opportunity to ask questions. If you have a question, do feel free to put a, a hand up. Um, I will need to repeat it for the sake of the recording, but uh, that's no reason not to do it. And what normally happens, as is presumably happening now, is whenever I announce there's questions, there's a slightly eggy pause where everyone goes, oh, have we got to be involved? So I'll ask another question while you think of yours. Good. Um, so I wanted to ask, uh, this is a, a kind of favourite question of mine that I hope podcast listeners aren't getting bored of. Yes. But is there, are there elements to stand-up or performance that you consider are currently intangible to you? Do you see people doing certain things and go, I really must work on that, or I wish I could do that like that person? Oh, I, I, sorry, I come to this festival every year and take a great deal from take a great deal if I steal <laughs> material off people. But like I saw John Kern's gig last yeah. night. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I saw um, uh, Joseph Morpurgo doing a show in the Free yeah, Fringe as both well. Both of those shows super. Yeah, I, and um, I, I, I mean, the, the, the thing that John did was like just absolute fearlessness in building up an idea to, to a really stupid conclusion. Uh <laughs> Um, I, I loved I loved that part in his show when he said, "You want to know the secret of comedy? Don't blink." Yeah, do you know what I mean? That's yeah. such a wonderful idea. Just don't blink before they do it. You know, stay he, committed. I did a I did a like a character theater show a few years ago, and I learned a great deal from that because you're it's just not it's not like stand up where you feel the need to say something funny every fifteen seconds or you're a failure. Um, I mean, I've just been to see Gemma Whelan's uh, play, and I just currently feel I've wasted my entire life mm. doing this bullshit because I've had such a profound theatrical experience. Um, 
at Dark Vanilla Jungle, one of the sort of things that's been with big theater shows here. Uh, so, so, but that's no harm is to get a kick in the nads once in a while mm. and go, God, look at what you're doing compared to everyone else. Mm. Do something, do something that moves people as much as that. Uh, but I bet I won't end up doing that. That's how I feel at the moment. Um, if anyone does have any questions, we can, there's one over there. Uh, what did you do before you became a comedian? I uh, worked in a bike shop, um, hence my bicycle obsession and my anger at Lance Armstrong. I uh, And you're, you're giving away your bike uh, giving, at the end yeah, of today's give, show, as, I bought as a, tradition. I bought a bike on the first day of this festival and I give it away in the show tonight to the person in the audience who has the best reason why they should have it. Uh, which And the best one of those... The, the last time I did it, remember the winning one was, we were down to two. There was a soldier who'd just come back from, our, uh, uh, he'd come back from Afghanistan. He was like, I saw people being blown up. And everyone's like, aw, give him the bike. And then this girl went, my bike was robbed yesterday. And people are like, oh, yes. And then she goes, oh, yeah, and I'm adopted. <laughs> and that, that won the bike rather than the poor squatty man. Uh, the uh, I did that and I worked. I was a relief social worker for the uh, sort of Dublin uh, health board. I worked in children's homes then as well, which is where I got into writing for kids from directly mm. from that then. Mm. Uh, so so I uh, yeah, but but as soon as I was started making enough money, I ditched all of that and. That was in about 2002, and I've just been doing this since then. Out of all the different things that you produce, do you find stand-up the hardest to create? No, I don't really draw much of a distinction between the different things, as, it, as in they're all just ideas. So uh, Claudia O'Doherty and Micah Hearn and I wrote these two books mm. uh, last year and the year before, or a couple of years 2011, 2010, 11, books about, of made-up facts about animals. Uh, our friend Mike is a genius of Photoshop, so whatever you think of, he can make an entirely scientifically believable photograph <laughs> to back it up. And, like, I mean, what is that book? I'm very proud of those two books, but, like, they're kind of children's books. Like, they sure. appeal to kids a lot. Generally, people just have them in their toilets. <laughs> so if someone described it once uh, as, this book is a real Lou Reed Okay, and when I heard that, like, because I love Velvet Underground, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's got a darkness yeah. to it, <laughs> like Transformer, like his solo stuff, yeah. And he's like, oh no, no, I just keep it in the bog, yeah, just yeah. Do you just before we wrap up? There might be time for another question in a moment, but um, I just wanted to, to touch on that. We've mentioned darkness, and that's something that is a, a preoccupation of mine on this this podcast. Yep. Um, do you struggle with part of the process with part of the writing writing process is there are, are there dark voices ever that you kind of go i can't do this i'm not equipped to uh, do it or are you just level headed the whole time oh three the first year that i was in this room i um nearly had a breakdown of some kind that summer trying to write the show there's this mm. amazing uh video that i'll never show anyone of uh me upstairs in the international bar in dublin and i do 10 minutes of this uh material that gets very little response and you just see the sort of like white knuckle veiny hands me standing there just going this opens in 10 days in Edinburgh and that's all I have mm. like about 15 minutes in and my friend Richie is there and he's like no man you've got something there <laughs> 
And it's this. It's a, probably quite a profound theatrical experience for the people who are there. But I nearly lost my fucking mind in 2003. And so I just changed my whole process after that. There's a point where in stand-up, you're, you're, just, you're waiting for ideas to come and you record them into your phone or you write them on your hand and then you have a book and you write them into it. But then there comes a point where you actually just have to back yourself where you go, if I sit down at this table for three hours, I'm going to have... I'm not saying something that'll go in a show, mm. but I'll have a few ideas out of it. Mm. It's like I was always very inspired by the Roald Dahl idea of because he used to work uh, four hours a day. He'd work ten to twelve. We could enter the shed at ten, come and he'd tie a silk scarf around his waist, and he'd come back at twelve, and then he'd work four. He'd take the afternoon off, come back work four to six, and for his entire career, he he would come leave the untie the scarf and walk back down the path of the garden at twelve. Just be like, and just reckon he'd wasted his time that morning. Nothing happened there. Mm. What an absolute waste of time. And for his entire career, he'd arrive back at four and just look at the page and the few things he'd written and be like, oh, maybe there was something there. Sure. You know, so you have to, there comes a point where you have to just put in time and, and trust that something reasonable will come out of it, I think. And, and what was what was the change in, in the process you were doing previously? You were carrying with you the idea it wasn't working. No, no, no. In 03, I was just waiting for ideas to mythically okay, appear. Okay. You know, you're waiting for things to happen around you. Mm. And uh, whereas it was like, that can never happen again because I can't do this job if that's how hard it's going to be. And then I started to find my own voice then because I was writing more and ditching more bits of material. And then like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that interests me. I can mm. talk about that. So uh, yeah, that's when it, that's when it changed. So it was, it was kind of in this room where, where I figured that out. We are about to overrun, but uh, it, we could probably do one last question if anyone has one. If not, and we'd all like to get back to our mineral water in the sun. Was there one over there? There is one. There's one last one over there. It's a classic ComCom question. Um, do you yeah. find the creation of the material therapeutic if you're working through emotional stuff? Um, when I, you're writing. I certainly find it difficult to write about other things than those things that are on my mind. You know, like you said, I, I talk about the internet a lot on the show. That's because I spend too much time looking at the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because uh, I was blue and down in the dumps, I, I started to notice really funny things that were happening. Or Like I, I think about it's not in my show uh it's not. It's not in the show. Maybe I should should have put this in this show. So my friend, whose lady had cancer, was um, so her family came over from overseas, and uh, my friend picked them up from the airport, and he has a shit car, and they didn't have don't have very good English, and he brought them to the hospital, which is in like one of Dublin's druggiest parts of town. Like it's a, it's a it's it's a good hospital, but it looks awful, and it was raining really hard. And he, there was nowhere to park. So he just pulled up in the path and he just told them to go into the foyer of the hospital. And the, the door just jammed open on the car. So you, you couldn't shut it. It was just dunk. The lock was stuck open. And uh, so my friend sent them in and he's there and he's kneeling down. And it was raining really, really hard. And the key was just going around and around and around. And he was crying and there were junkies everywhere. And then this uh, Roma guy came up with an accordion. And as my uh, as he's doing this, he just started singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> and it just went... Uh, my friend just started laughing so much at 
that how preposterous this is. And and I think that is uh, I think that might be where really funny stuff comes from. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking David O'Doherty. So thank you to David for that brilliant interview. He was very, very open and warm and witty and all the things we like. So thank you, David. Uh, just a couple of thank yous uh, for the rest of the show. Thanks to Sarah Grun for the podmin, uh, to James Lowey and Pete Jones for their technical support at the Gilded Balloon venue. And this episode was co-produced by Nathan Wood. Please do go and check out youtube.com slash comcompod for video highlights of this and some other recent interviews, including Bo Burnham, Susan Kalman, Norman Lovett, Tony Law, lots more. Uh, we're back next week with Max and Ivan. Well, I say next week, actually. I'm, I'm away for a week because my dad's getting married in Spain. So I will do my best to bring you that one on time. Don't hate me if it's a day late, as Pete Dobbing did the other day, giving me a load of passive-aggressive grief about, oh, you're, oh, you're doing Thursdays now, are you? I'm not, you bastard. It's just a lot of admin to sort out, even with the brilliant help that I get. Next week, Wednesday if I can, for Max and Ivan. Bye-bye for now. Mm-hmm.